Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello everybody and welcome to the first ever episode of After Work Drinks With. Every second Saturday night from now onwards, we'll be releasing an interview with an interesting person. They've been handpicked by us because they're someone we, and by extension you, would love to have a drink with. So pour a glass, settle in and enjoy. For our debut episode and her debut podcast interview, we're speaking to Canadian-born actress Nista Cooper. After starring in Unreal, The Edge of Seventeen and Reality High, Nista had her breakout role in the Netflix teen drama Travellers. Now she stars alongside very sexy Jason Momoa in Apple TV's first original series C and the upcoming movie Bliss alongside Owen Wilson and Salma Hayek. Last year, people dubbed Nesta one to watch alongside Florence Pugh, while everyone from W Magazine and Vogue called her Hollywood's next big thing and the fashion industry positively lapped her up. Nesta, we are so excited to talk to you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I feel very honored to be the first. So obviously we are having this conversation in an unexpected time period. So to start off with, how are you finding isolation and do you consider yourself a sort of introverted or extroverted personality in dealing with isolation? You know what? I really don't mind it at all. I'm like, I I think I'm what they call an extroverted introvert. I really, really enjoy being at home. I don't mind socializing. I like going out, but it makes me pretty tired after a while. So um, I like, it all kind of lined up really well for me too, because I was in the middle of doing season two of C and then this happened. I mean, I think we were shooting episode two or three and then I ended up coming back home, but we thought, I thought I was going to be there until at least July or August. And I was, really sad because we were in Toronto which is you know on the other side of the country and then also in Canada from from where I live where my home is in LA and so I was kind of happy because I was already really missing like my fiance and my sister lives here and my dog so I was kind of happy to come back but now it's been over a month and I'm kind of ready to get back to work now I think yeah so we kind of on the podcast talk a lot about books and different shows and what we're reading and consuming and lockdown. I've seen that you're a bit of an avid reader. What have you been kind of doing to pass the time? I love to read. I've always, I've always read like since I was really, really young, but I actually haven't read at all during this time. Like I, I thought that I would, I brought some books back from Toronto that I had started I think the last book that I finished was in February and it was um, Conversations with Friends. Great one. And yes, great one. But other than that, like I, I haven't really picked up a book other than maybe like a comic book or two to just kind of for some light reading. I haven't really been doing any 
any deep I mean I, I thought I'd be reading I thought I'd be meditating doing all of that good stuff and I've just been watching Netflix and watching Netflix yeah <laughs> have you watched um normal people yet no I haven't and I have heard really really great things about the lead guy that he's just an absolute hottie, yeah. so you are in for a treat yeah it's- I'm jealous that you haven't seen it. Like, I wish I could wipe my memory and rewatch it from scratch because we we gobbled it up like two greedy girls when it came out. Yeah. Oh, we love to hear. It. Can't wait. <laughs> Maybe I'll start it tonight or tomorrow. I just finished um, Hollywood on Netflix, which I thought was really good. Yeah, I'm third episode in. It's it's really good. Yeah, it's a really. I mean, I really like Brian Murphy stuff usually. Um, I didn't get super, super into the politician and I didn't really know what to expect from this, but I, we finished it in like a day and a half. We just binged the whole thing. Yeah. Pretty good. It's, it's such an easy watch. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to kind of go back a little bit because we know you've talked about knowing you wanted to act from age kind of 13, 14, um, knowing that Mm -hmm. so early on, we wondered what, like what you were like in high school, I guess, when you already had such a strong idea (laughs) of what you wanted to do with your life. Um, (laughs) I, okay. That is a, that's a great, I've never been really asked that when I was like in high school. Um, that's so interesting. I like, don't, I feel like I'm going to say something and then the people that knew me in high school are going to be like, that's not true. But (laughs) my, or how you remember things in your experience of like how you're feeling inside during that time. Um, I feel like can always kind of skew a little bit, but I definitely knew when I was 13, I, I watched a lot of TV. I was really, not really nerdy because I definitely had friends, but I was into really nerdy stuff. Like I watched a ton of anime. I read young adult novels, like religiously. I just loved kind of like going into this, going into a fantasy world. And, and I mean, I was like the kid at 13 who was reading fan fiction. <laughs> I was kind of a freak. Were you ever writing fan um, fiction is the question. I was writing fan fiction, but I was mostly writing comedy fan fiction because I thought I was very, very funny as a teenager. <laughs> so I would write comedy fan fiction about, like, based on my favorite, either books that I was reading. Like, I remember I did one um, that was based on the Mortal Instruments books, but maybe when I was, like, 15 and then even earlier than that, I did one based on um, this anime called Naruto that I loved. Um, but they were all very PG kind of. Uh, I'm getting a bit of a comedy. kind of nerdy vibe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, I mean, that, yeah, that was me. And so I feel like I was, I just wanted to make and do stuff like that. And then I also think it, it was that mixed with, I was also a middle child. And so maybe I didn't get enough attention and I was always like putting on shows and I was a very loud kid. Um, and my two sisters that I grew up with, they are also very artistic people. So we would just, we would just like make up songs and present them to our mom or make up dances and present them to our mom. Um, so I feel like it just was kind of always a part of me. And then once I started taking acting class around 14, 15, I just, like was obsessed with it and so I never wanted to stop. So I read that it was One Tree Hill that really got you into it. Oh yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest. It was Sophia Bush. Yes. And Chad Michael Murray. Yes. I mean I don't know I don't I don't remember who else I told that, but I don't know if I said exactly what it was. I was it was like season three. I was rewatching it. Season three, like episode one of the finale episodes, either like 23 or 24 or something. And did you guys ever watch? No, I don't know how I missed that. It was like this weird thing. I was a Dawson's Creek girl through and through. And Grace has never watched Dawson's Creek. I haven't watched Dawson's Creek, but I've watched the OC. So I feel like we all just missed each other slightly. Same path. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They came out right around the same time, but I feel like the OC was not, was way edgier and like cooler at first. Mm. They, you know, they had kids doing like drugs and going to parties and everyone was rich and driving like Escalades and stuff like that. Whereas One Tree Hill was like very wholesome. I watched both and loved both, but One Tree Hill went a little longer. And yeah, that was like, that was my, that was my heart and soul. (laughs) (laughs) 13 or 14, but there was a scene where Sophia Bush, um, 
gets really upset with Chad Michael Murray. Um, and she just like, she's crying and she's screaming at him. And I just remember like tears were rolling down my face. And I was like, I don't, I don't know how she is making me feel so much when I literally never like talked to a boy really (laughs) never been in love, never had my heart broken. Um, and that just kind of fascinated me from the jump, like just seeing how invested I was in these people and their story and feeling like I could feel what, what they were going through. Um, I just found that really interesting. And I was like, I want to be able to move people in the same way, I guess. Amazing. So you know, you want to be an actor, you go to school and study, and then obviously you're auditioning in Hollywood, which sounds terrifying to us. Can you talk us a little bit about those initial auditions and just the audition process in general? Because it's kind of fascinating. Oh, yeah, totally. So, so I first started auditioning in Vancouver. And I, um, in Vancouver, it's, it's different, because um, they have like their casting directors, a lot of projects that come up to Vancouver to shoot are American projects. Of course, some of them are, are Canadian, but a lot of them are like, there's a lot of CW shows that shoot up in Vancouver, um, like Riverdale and Arrow and like all those kind of vibey shows. And then there's um, like a lot of studio films, that kind of thing. So they have the American casting directors that cast a lot of the bigger parts and like the initial parts. And then they have um, the local casting directors in Canada who cast like, you know, like policeman and like slutty girl number two and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. They also cast big roles, but usually those roles are cast in, in the States. So for a Canadian actor to be able to book a role that's more than like two lines on an American project is kind of the goal. So you start by going out for these like no line roles and like one or two line roles. And it's stuff like, like a girl in the background being like, <laughs> saying something like you have something on her shoe or <laughs> and then hopefully if you book enough of those you just kind of keep going more and more my experience I mean this I think every actor probably it has a very different experience but from my experience going from auditioning in Vancouver where it's like you start at the bottom 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 of the barrel and then kind of hope to climb your way up I thought being in LA, it would be so much more intimidating and scary, but it actually is a totally different um, feeling over there. I feel like going into auditions because, I mean, mind you, I I went in after I had booked Travelers, which was my first series. So I did have a lot of experience under my belt, but it feels more like a land of dreams over the, over here. So it's like, you can have two credits or no credits, but if you're a fresh face and you're natural and you're good and people like, you know, like your look or you, you have it, quote unquote, then you can be going in and reading for starring roles because it's Hollywood. It's like the land of dreams and people want to break people out here. They want to be the one that's like, I gave her her first like big part. That's why she took off. Um, in terms of like the actual process, you basically go into a room, there's a sheet of paper, you have like your sides in your hand, which is the scene that you're going to be reading. You write down your name, your agent, what time they called you in, and then what time you actually got there. Um, and you just wait, they call you in, it's really scary, like the first. And anytime that you take a break, even when I go and do a show for like six months and then come back and have to audition, I feel like it's the same kind of scariness over again. It doesn't really go away because it really feels like, I don't know, you're like, you're, you're singing for your supper kind of deal. <laughs> it's like La La Land is what I'm thinking of. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know, at the end where she's so talented, but she still has to go and try for all of these gigs that are sometimes maybe beneath her, but you still got to do it. Yeah. Well, even totally. like you, you think about that, all of the kind of most famous actresses in Hollywood, they're still trying for roles against other huge act- You kind of just don't even think of that anymore, but they're all going for the... You, hear later that like um emma watson was supposed to get emma stone's role in la la land like you you don't even realize mm, that all these other people are still kind of <laughs> having to audition yeah and and even if there's people who are they are booking and like doing a lot of movies or a lot of projects they may not even be the kind of projects that they want to do it's just the only ones that they can really get hired for 
And so I feel like a lot of people don't really talk about the artistic balance that there is because you have to work to make money, but you also want to do things that are artistically fulfilling because that's why you're in the job. Like that's why you're doing it because you love, you love doing it. And sometimes there's just certain movies or projects that aren't very artistically fulfilling because you're just kind of being a pretty face or, or whatever it is. So it's, it's, it's interesting, but I think like the long and short is actually auditioning in LA for me has been quite a pleasant experience. Cause I find that, um, the casting directors I've read for have actually treated me with a level of respect that I really appreciate and has brought out better work in me. That's great. So where, and, um, I mean, I guess all creatives can kind of relate to that because we're the same with writing. You kind of have to do the jobs that make you ends meet and then you write the things you're really passionate about. But magazines as a whole is a really competitive industry. You know, you have like the Devil Wears Prada kind of a million girls would kill for this job. Um, And I imagine acting Mm -hmm. would be even more so. Um, How do you kind of deal with any feelings of self-doubt or you know if you walk into a room and there's a billion girls that look the exact same as you going for the exact same role as you uh I mean I think I deal with it differently just depending on what the part is if I feel if I really 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 want the part and I feel like I'm really right for it I feel like I have more confidence because I'm like you know no one else is me no one else is has all of the is like Canadian and half Jamaican and grew up watching anime and you know all of those things that kind of make me who I am and whatever my weird um behavioral tics are all that kind of stuff um and I would think it would it's the same for writing as well because no one has your guys's minds um so that's one thing that I tell myself other times like I can't really shake it and I just am super nervous and I just try to channel those nerves into whatever I'm doing because to be emotional, like it's just energy in motion and nerves are a form of that. So sometimes I just try to take my shaky nerves and, and try to channel them into something that can work in the scene. Like if I'm supposed to be scared in the scene or upset or angry, sometimes that works. Other times I'm just a mess. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine that having a good set of girlfriends would be very helpful with dealing with a lot of the maybe anxieties or de- hard parts of being in LA has it been a big part of setting your roots there to have like a really strong group of friends that can kind of relate to what you're going through yeah I think so for sure I mean when I first moved here I was um 22 and I didn't I mean I moved here and I, I was staying in an apartment like a one-bedroom apartment in West Hollywood and the only person I really knew here was my boyfriend, Pete, that I had met on a movie that I did um, the year before. And he was, he's a producer, so he was working all day. And I was just kind of at home alone for the entire day. And then at nighttime, we would hang out. But it, it I was really, really depressed for at least the first like three or four months. I didn't get out of bed until like, 1 p.m. every day and then I would just kind of like walk around the block and then come home and eat and it was really um it can make the city can make you feel very isolated and I felt very much that way because I grew up in Vancouver which is like a walking city and you can usually just you have your places that you go to and I hadn't quite found that yet um and then when I got my first dog when I adopted Juno it actually made a really big difference because he kind of gave me like a sense of purpose you know like like I'm like I have to wake up in the morning and feed the dog and walk him and spend time with him and um that was the first thing that made a really really big difference and then um starting to make friends and putting roots down like you said was the second thing I feel like I'm just starting to get a good girl gang group here I it it can be hard sometimes because especially with actors because people are traveling all the time and it's hard to like find people who are all together at the same time um but yeah I think I've got a solid group now which I think has just been amazing I don't know my best friend also just moved here that I like grew up with 
so that's helped as well oh that's so nice yeah. need your girls yeah animals are literally life-changing as well mm-hmm. i um he, he really changed a lot for me yeah i just came home from london because i was going through i just moved there as well and i was going through a bit of a rough patch there with a breakup and kind of losing a bunch of friends and all that sort of stuff and so i came home and this puppy has literally like changed my life literally like free therapy it's it is and i and like there's just something so pure about a dog's love when it's the right fit like i've definitely like I've tried to adopt we wanted to get a sibling for Juno and I've tried to adopt other dogs and like I'll foster them for a bit and I'm like it's just not the right fit either the dog doesn't want to be there or like they won't fit with the lifestyle or whatever it is but when a dog picks you and it's like the right thing it's just there's nothing more pure I Mm. think I love it I'm a dog lover and just pet lover too I mean I love cats and we have a friend who has a pet pig (laughs) so (laughs) (laughs) yeah you said in a recent profile that you kind of barely had a social life until a few years ago because you spent most of your time in acting classes and perfecting your work where do you think that drive kind of came from and do you feel as though you have more of a balance now um really great question um i uh Okay, I'm going to try to not ramble. Um, I feel like it's true. I really didn't have a social life at all. I mean, pretty much as soon as I graduated high school, I was 17. I moved to the city and I just really wanted to work. Um, I wanted to be an actor so bad. And I think that a lot of millennials feel this way where, or just young people in general feel like even if you're starting something fresh, like you're already starting too late. Mm. unless you're like uh like a super genius that like graduates college at like 16 you just feel I felt like steps behind even at 17 I was like well I'm not like Selena Gomez so I've I've already (laughs) failed failed. yeah Yeah. (laughs) so um I I think that was part of what drove it the other thing was I used to be really afraid of socializing because I would just have a lot of anxiety I felt um, I think I'm the kind of person that I don't like. I, I used to be very, like, not okay when people didn't like me. Mm-hmm. We've talked <laughs> about this be, so much, yeah. I think it's more common than people think. So out of my way, yeah. I think I relied a lot on that. Um, and I just, the things that people did, at least in my friend group when I was younger in, in Vancouver, was to go out to the clubs and stuff like that, which I didn't really like doing anyway. Um, and so I just, like, I, I never really went drinking with my friends. And what I did, I would have maybe, like, a cocktail at dinner, and then I wouldn't go out to the club with them after that, that kind of vibe. Um, and my two best friends, Victoria and Maya, like, bless them. They still love me. They still hang out with me. They never got annoyed that I was constantly bailing and all that kind of stuff. Um, but then it wasn't until I moved to L.A. and I actually met my fiancé, Pete. Um, who he just was social in ways that I didn't really um, take into consideration before. Like he, he would want to do things like dinner parties or like, you know, go to, go to a movie where you can like have a beer or that kind of stuff that is still chill, but also like very social. And um, he opened me up to being, to getting out of my shell more and like learning that I can actually really enjoy that stuff and I can be in, I think being in a safe space is another thing where you don't feel like you're judged um, by people. And so, yeah, I think to answer your question, yes, I feel like I do have balance. It's going to be hard for me coming out of this because I'm so used to just like having all every, like the main people that I love so close right now and I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. So it'll be kind of hard coming out of this, but yeah, it's been a weird, my social My social journey has been interesting. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So we, you just touched on it just then, kind of this millennial burnout and this crazy ambition that we all seem to have where it's kind of like you hit one milestone that teenage you would never have even thought that was possible. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as you kind of hit it, yeah. this is how we feel anyway, you, it just doesn't even feel like a thing anymore. It's just on to the next thing. And you just still constantly feel so behind. Um, what is your relationship with success like? Well, I think it's like what you were just saying. It's like, I feel like you're constantly trying to like race with your own potential. And it's, it's a really, I, I, I have been practicing lately trying to be like very grateful. It's a, it, this is a kind of a strange industry. I think entertainment in general, like that we're all in is, is a little strange and it's changing all the time with technology and everything actors aren't paid as much as they used to like tv is like you know a, like almost a better outlet than movies now um it's all very different from even when i started and um being like a person of color and a female coming into the film industry um is like so different now even from when i started and i was like only reading for like best friend roles or really small parts so it's it's it, my relationship with success has been, um, I think better now, but you can't, I can't really shake that feeling of like, oh my gosh, like I'm 26 now and who are all the other people who are 26 and what have they accomplished? Like the comparing is something that I think I've just come to terms with that. I don't think it's going to go away and for a while, but what has helped me, uh, shake that is, uh, taking time like outside of my work and, and appreciating my friends and family. Like a couple of years ago, my mom passed away suddenly, like she got hit by a car. Oh my God. And ever since that happened, um, I had like a huge shift just in my outlook towards work. And it didn't really change in like how much, it's not that I didn't want to work, Um, because I literally, like it happened when I was doing my Netflix show and I think I took 10 days off and then went back to work and finished the season. And I wanted to continue to work, but my view towards my work, like why I was doing it and the kind of projects I wanted to do changed significantly. And I think once I gave myself permission to just say no to projects and do things that I like and, and not beat myself up for missed opportunities. Um, I think my relationship with success changed as well. Cause I was like, I really feel like I'm more in control of my life in that way. If that makes sense. Yeah. I'm so sorry to hear that. I'm so sorry that happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's horrible. That's all right. My stepdad passed away. Um, when I was, how old were you when this happened? 24. Yeah. I was 25. Um, and it was cancer, but it was still very quick. And it was the same similar thing where I've always been so ambitious and work has always been this huge priority that I'd been offered a new job two weeks beforehand. And I took the job. And then the day of, so we live in like this country town. Uh, and I took the job and then he got really sick. So I flew home from Auckland, which is the city the job was in. Flew home, stayed for like three days, flew back to work without telling anyone, then flew back that weekend oh and um, and literally had to call an ambulance, all of these things, and then, and then told my boss, took four days off, went to the funeral, and then went back to work. Like, it was just, it's such a crazy thing when you think about it, because grief is... It is. 
it's just so all-consuming you just go into like i think it's like a mixture of shock but you also go into like this like survival mode mm. where you're like like this is all this part of my life is already falling apart so i can't let anything else yeah. almost yeah. that's how uh, oh, I'm so sorry. It's the worst. It's honestly the worst when when you lose someone that you love. But I don't know. I think just in the last year, I've been um, a lot. After the year, I think I had an entire year of being in shock mm -hmm. and not understanding why I was really doing things and not feeling completely in my own body at work and not really knowing what each day was going to look like. Um, and then after like a year and, you know, going, speaking with like a therapist and all of that stuff, I've, I think I've just started to be able to really talk about my mom again and, and talk to my sisters about it. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah. such a, yeah, it's such a long process and a year I think feels like a day. It, it's, it's crazy. Mm -hmm, and then totally. it's been almost five years and it feels like maybe one or two now it's Yeah. I think the hardest part for me was like, it happens. And then, you know, a month goes by and then all of a sudden it's like, like no one else is really talking about it anymore. Yeah. So you don't really feel. Yeah. So you feel like, it's like being that like sad person then. And you don't, I mean, at least that's how I felt. I just didn't want to like be that person. And, um, and then, yeah, I've, I've gotten over it now, I guess. Cause I'm chatting about it with you guys. <laughs> well, thank you for opening up about it because sometimes grief is like this topic that people are scared to go near because it feels like this scary black hole. But I think part of it is just sometimes people feel alone and then when they can hear other people talking about it, it kind of makes you, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. <laughs> All right. Of course. Um, so you just touched on the topic slightly but you've been in Hollywood over this very interesting period where you're watching the entertainment industry change a lot in real time mm -hmm. and I'm just curious about how it feels from the other side in terms of are you actually seeing more exciting scripts and more exciting characters and more female-led projects is that something you've really tangibly noticed um like in terms of like um like inclusivity in Hollywood, you mean? Yeah, and w the way people treat women. Yeah. I think the short answer is, is yes, for sure. I think it's, I, I think until like 50% of like the studio heads and like the distributors and the people who are really, really, really the decision makers and the green lighters are women like the money people are like women or people of color. I think it won't get to that point, but I think that we're moving towards it at, in a way that um, has of course never been done before. I definitely noticed that there's more roles for more lead and interesting roles for women, more female directors. I mean, I'm also very lucky with, because I think I have like a like-minded team that knows me and knows that I want to be telling stories like that. So a lot of the auditions I get are like with female directors and that kind of stuff, which I am so, so, so lucky for. Yeah. But um, I think there's a, an odd disconnect as well, because I think once the um, Time's Up movement came and um, the Me Too movement happened, there was such a huge shift in perspective of so many people, which I loved because it, it really opened up people's eyes to be like, oh, like this is something we really should be paying attention to. And um, it, it lit a fire under a lot of people's bums, especially in the industry. But then it kind of shifted into this thing that felt almost um, like a trend, mm. I think. Um, that I, and I can't quite put my finger on exactly when it happened or how it's happened, but sometimes it feels, and I could be wrong, but sometimes it feels like it's cooler to say when you're bringing a project forward and you want to get it greenlit, like, yeah, we could definitely have a female director attached to this and we definitely want a person of color um, to star. But once the movie is actually being made, actually having that happen is not always the case if that makes sense 
So people will bring, like a lot of people will um, say that to maybe get the ball rolling. But then when it actually comes to like finding female directors, it's really easy for them to be like, oh, well, like there's this person who is a male. Yes, but he's done this and this and this and this and this. So mm -hmm. Of course, we have to hire. We're, we're lucky to even, you know, be getting his attention. So there's still a little bit of like wishwashiness that I don't quite buy with all of that. But again, the short answer is yes, there has been a change, but we still have a lot further. To go. Yeah, I um, was listening to Reese Witherspoon recently on Jamila Jamila's podcast, and she basically she got really upset and she started crying and she was like, it wasn't kind of this moment where the Time's Up movement happened and suddenly everything's okay. She was like, I'm still getting paid way less than my male co-stars and there's still so much change uh, that needs to happen. It's it's not like there was just this kind of thing where everything was fixed. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know yeah. that. I, I didn't know that. I know, it's wild. You would <laughs> like, yeah, that's come what we on. heard when we heard it we were like if it anyone and she talked about yeah. she talked about some of the scripts she was reading um before she started her own production company and this is after she's won an oscar and done everything else she's done and she said she got this script for this comedy that was this kind of mediocre male comedian where two beautiful talented women were fighting over him and that was the whole script and she sent it back to her agent and she was like why did you send me this like uh, this is so beneath what I would do now and her agent said well this person's gone for it this person's gone for it and listed 10 of the most famous highest paid actresses in Hollywood and there'd just been this drought of roles so that like you said earlier all of these huge names were going for this terrible script with these terrible roles because they just had nothing else. So that's why she launched her production company. I believe it. I believe it. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's so much good art out there that's being made by all types of human beings of every race, gender. But um, yeah, there's still this part of me that feels the disconnect when I go to the movie theater and the majority of like the lead 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 roles are still Caucasian actors and a lot of the directors are still Caucasian directors. So it's kind of, and like, I love those movies. I mean, I, I, I go watch every movie that's out no matter who's made it or who's in it, but yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's not going to happen overnight. I, I would hope that maybe by the time, my son or daughter is my age that so, I don't know if that sounds so sad when I say it out loud, but yeah. It just takes time though to undo yeah. years of it being done the wrong way. Like it's just gonna take yeah. take a while, <laughs> sadly. And just conversations, like even just you guys asking about it, like those conversations, they I think they matter and and just ha having more like-minded people who want to tell unique stories like no matter who's in them or who's starring in them as long as the story is unique I always tell um I always talk to my sister about this how like there's actually so many different types of people in the world who have so many different stories like there's not just like your typical American story and then a foreign story about like a kid in Africa mm. like there's People, you know, there's people of color who live in New Zealand or live in London who are like whose family is maybe French who have interesting stories or people who are of like who are biracial or mixed race who grew up in, in different ways. And I just think there's so many stories to tell still and hopefully that people just will be more open to it moving forward. And then eventually it's just the norm. Totally. Now, you star in Apple TV's first original show, C, which we are both binging. I've just had to re-watch it from the start because I put it on in the lounge and then everyone wanted to start it all over again. So I'm, oh, I'm, so I'm well-versed. Um, alongside a rather attractive man named Jason Momoa. Um, and your character is an archer in the show what was kind of the physical training like for that um it was it was a very unique experience um like my Hanua training was probably a little different than everyone else's because um everyone had to go through a movement training so we prepped about a month before we actually started shooting 
um, up in Vancouver, and we did movement classes with with our movement director um, from season one. His name is Paradox, and Joe Stretche, who's our associate producer, um, who's our blindness and also our blindness consultant, um, and honestly, just our everything. I don't know where the show would be without him. He lost his sight when uh, I think around when he was nineteen, and he's just been consulting on the show for pretty much everything. I don't know how he's done it, but he's an absolute legend. I love him. So Joe and Paradox would uh, put everyone in sleep shades. I mean, we do it individually, but it would look sort of like this. You'd go to the production office or the studio, wherever um, they were doing the training, uh, and they'd put us in a sleep mask so we couldn't see, and then give us a cane that we all, we all had our own cane to bring home. And uh, he would first teach us how to walk with the cane and then he would bring us through um, the studio or the production office and just uh, be like, do you know where you are right now? Like, all right, the stairs are coming up. This is how you walk down the stairs, how you walk down the hall. Um, he gave us a tiny, tiny little intro to echolocation, like how you can snap or click your tongue to know where objects are in the room or where you are in the room or what the room like, you know, looks like in your head. Um, and then some, with mine, he brought me into a room with all kinds of different leathers and ropes that were actually being used in the show later, uh, and bells and like keys and jangly little metals and stuff like that. Um, and he, we just kind of played for like an hour, maybe like three times a week. And I was playing a sided character, so I think a lot of the other yeah, actors did it way more than. <laughs> yeah, I. I was very very lucky i i i don't they how a lot of them have been able to do that like even just doing action scenes like without looking like you can see is is so so difficult like they're all amazing your character is such a badass and i mean i'm only at episode four so i just had to start again but i'm kind of wondering why why your character is such a badass and then your brother's just seems like he just seems like he didn't learn any skills. He's, oh he's always God. such a mood kill. He's like, no, stop reading. And I'm like, Ugh. No, and then I was like, they're literally getting attacked. And he's just, he has, I was like, what have you been doing this whole time while she's been learning archery, you lazy little boy? Oh, <laughs> I know. I feel like there's been like a mixed reaction because some people like, they think Kofun is really boring and Haniwa is like, you know, the cool one that's getting the ball rolling. And then... Other people think that Hani was like kind of a bitchy brat, and Kofun is the only one with like a, like good head on his shoulders. We're camp one. Um, yeah, I'm in. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think that was just the way it was written. I mean, I I feel like that's just what Stephen wanted. He wanted it to be kind of like an Adam and Eve like kind of feel, yeah. and since Eve is the one that like takes the forbidden fruit and um. And, and all that. I think that that's just how he wrote Haniwa. Uh, I love that she's an absolute badass. I learned archery um, before starting the show and it's like by far my favorite kind of stunt type thing that I've learned because my show before that I played a tactician so I learned how to shoot like every type of gun and a lot of hand-to-hand -hand combat stuff which I honestly didn't love because I don't know I think maybe I'm secretly a Kofun. <laughs> but I but I learned to do archery, which is just such a peaceful and just, it's so sick. I mean, mm -hmm. I just think it's such a cool thing. So I was really happy to learn it. But yeah, Archie and I became so, so, so close. Like just pretty much from the jump. We did our screen test together. Archie plays Kofu. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I should have said that. Um, we did our screen test together in Vancouver before we knew that we even got the part. And, um, like ever since then, like as soon as we like followed each other on Instagram and then as soon as I got the call from my agent, I was like, did Archie get it? And they were like, yes, he did. And he asked the same thing because we're at the same Aww. agency. <laughs> and like just so excited. And so we, we became like brother and sister really fast, but I can say season two, it, he, he gets his ass into gear. He steps it up. Steps <laughs> I know. It's, it's yeah. like with, with reading, Grace. Me and Grace are the same human, and then she's read like 40 books. And I was like, you guys are twins, and but then you just know all this archery. I'm like, what's he doing while you were doing that? 
I'm like, <laughs> I know, I know. He just has been like reading maps. Yeah. And stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so can you talk to us a bit about what the filming is like? Because we know it's in British Columbia, which is obviously Canada. So in some ways you're closer to home, but I guess it doesn't really make a difference if you're still off shooting the whole time. So like how long are you shooting for and how do you cope with being away from your fiance and your friends and your family during those stints? Um, so so if season one, we shot eight months. We did eight wow. episodes in eight months. Like to give you perspective, my the TV show that I did before that, we would shoot 12 episodes in about four and a half, five months. Mm-hmm. So shooting eight episodes in eight months, is it's like shooting like mini movies, um, which is like really, really great because I think it turned out really beautifully and you could see the money on screen, but it was so excessively long for me, like for someone who gets, you know, like wants to do a bunch of stuff. Um, but yes, I was in Vancouver for the first season. Season two, we're in Toronto, which is a little different because um, it's so far from home. But I think it was a blessing in disguise to be doing um, season one in Vancouver because I started working on C probably like three months after my mom had passed. And so I was able to be with my sisters and my grandma and um, my uncles and aunts whenever I wasn't working. Um, but it was hard being away from Pete because Pete lives here in LA and how do I balance it? It's, I think you have to really, in terms of relationships, I think you have to really be with the right person who understands. Cause I have been with people who are just a little more, not possessive, but who, who would prefer to have either be with you all the time or um, maybe just have a little more control over like what you do and, and that kind of thing. Whereas Pete is very, not only very supportive, but he is very okay with me going to Vancouver and being there for eight months, becoming like best friends with Archie, who he literally had never, hadn't met for like two months, like spending all my time with him either hanging out with Archie and the cast or working. Those kinds of things I think are really important and I try to constantly tell him how grateful I am for that stuff. It kind of seems like um, like us in a way when we go traveling for work and then you kind of, it becomes a little family unit and you just kind of adapt. So even we did the fashion month circuit where we went to Paris and Milan and then you just meet these people who are on the trip with you and suddenly you're spending every day with them every night with them you're talking to them all the time and you just adapt and then it comes to the end and you're kind of like it felt like school camp and then suddenly you just miss everyone and that was like life for a while Uh, like being being in Vancouver was a lot easier for me just because um it's like a two and a half hour flight from LA I was with my family in Vancouver and then when I come to LA I'd be with the dog and um you know he could fly up so easily for a week and I could fly down being in Toronto or when I'm shooting somewhere other than Vancouver is a lot harder because yes it is like you said like you have this family unit there and these like people that you become very close with but when you're in a different time zone Mm -hmm. than like your person and you're working until like my hours are like you know, I get picked up at like 4am and then I'm done work by maybe 6pm. And then it's only three o'clock there for like in LA for Pete. And I call, try to call him, but he's still working. And then I have to go to bed by the time he's done work. Those kinds of things I think I'm still trying to figure mm-hmm. out. Um, but it does make it easier when you like people you work with. And I, I have been so lucky to just work with honestly the best people. The cast of C is so fun. Everyone is just like an absolute blast and a bit of a weirdo like me too, which I appreciate. <laughs> so good. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. We just have one last question. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite bar and what is your drink of choice? My favorite bar, I would say, is Rose Cafe in Venice. Um, but only at nighttime. During the day, it's a bit hip for me. <laughs> but nighttime it's really fun and they have cute cocktails and i my drink of choice is prosecco i think nice or any kind of 
Aperol spritz, like anything that has champagne in it, because it just gives me the energy I need to to get going. To through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, you guys, thanks for having me. This was so fun. It was really nice getting to know thank you both. You. Glad I I I podcast Cherry with you guys. Same. <laughs> What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com covered. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.